If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Bro, this is going to be an easy one for me, man. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> well, you know, I, you did all the heavy lifting. Let's just put it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. Um, heavy indeed. Heavy indeed, my friend. Yeah, the r- responsibilities uh, change sometimes, make it feel a little heavier, don't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for, for the audience who's like, what are, you, what are these guys talking about? Uh, why, don't, why don't you tell them uh, what, what we have for them today, for this week? Yeah, so uh, today's episode is a recording from a talk I did at the 2021 Ezra Institute. Ezra Institute is uh, a Christian think tank in Grimsby, Ontario, it's affiliated with uh, uh, Dr. Joe Boot. And we had him on our show. What episode was it for again? Uh, that was episode 79. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes page. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it, it was for, it was a speaking engagement for their Runner Academy, which is a week-long conference they have um, on having a biblical worldview on many social topics. So I gave a talk on a biblical perspective on the history of sport. That that actually seems like a very, um, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say relevant, but like, you know, you're a history major, you got your, you know, basketball, you know, as your sport slash you know do did the side project podcast on that too so oh the thanks coach yeah the thanks yeah, coach podcast, right like yeah. uh that the history of of sport is like you know a nice twist of of uh your interest and expertise yeah so um starting from the greco roman era and then we move into the present era and looking at historically some of the things we took away from our past historically and just basically looking at um competition the things that motivate us to be competitive and then um what keeps christians competitive and, and it was kind of a curveball at the end in regards to uh christian competitiveness and how we should be in the areas we should be um the most competitive um yeah yeah so it it, it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun and even I learned a lot and it was good to, um, I, I met a lot of people, a lot of cool people. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, I would say the highlight of, um, my day. So I was there for the day was, um, well, besides getting a tour of the, of the mansion and, and the property, um, <laughs> besides that it was, um, there was a banquet, um, in the evening and, um, I got to sit with, uh, Dr. Joe Boot's parents. And they were telling me their story. Give you all the juicy gossip about Joe. Boone yeah, yeah, too, right? yeah. Well, you know, well, you, you you know how moms are, man. <laughs> you know, you can't get them to stop talking about their kids. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. you know, you know, she was just giving me some insight. Um, they, his parents, um, I think, courted for like six weeks. 
got married and they've been married for uh, more than 50 years. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. It was really cool. Um, it was really cool. Um, fun time. And um, yeah. And hopefully they'll have me back. And um, yeah, I had, I had a really good time there. It was, it was really fun. And I would recommend, I would definitely recommend um, any listeners out there trying to grow their, not just, not just their perspective on, on a biblical perspective on the world, but also like being around people that are focused and people that want to get better and, and, and expanding your, 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 your fellowship and the fellowship was sweet and a lot of fun, not just, um, lectures, but a lot of fun and things like that. So it was really good. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, of course I'll put in the show notes page. Uh, it'll be, I think they have, you know, a number of programs and camps. Um, so I'll put the, a link to their sort of list of programs for the listeners if they want to check them out. Um, some yeah. of them, you know, the one Darnell spoke at was a bit of a longer one. Uh, I think it's usually about two weeks. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously you're going to have to pay for accommodations and different things. So um, they have, uh, I think they, you know, think of it as like an intensive, you know, you're immersed in uh, a learning time. Uh, and, and I think, yeah, for the for the listener, there might be something they're interested in. I know both me and you uh, have a level of interest, but you know, responsibilities and and you know, family sort of makes that somewhat difficult to, to make that commitment. Yeah, yeah. So, so the Runner Academy is uh, Ezra Institute's most comprehensive program for young adults. So, for successful applicants, you have to send in an application. Uh, this program is designed to train and equip the next generation of cultural leaders to understand their lives and the world through the lens of God's word. And I just remembered also like the talk that, that I gave was based on episodes. <laughs> of course. It was based on episodes we've done like um, uh, Social Justice League. Uh you know, right? Mm-hmm. So, so social justice league. I pulled some stuff from my my, my thanks coach podcast, and so yeah, and, and, so, and so some not, nice stuff on lobbying and, and lobby groups, and, and you know, there's a net, as much as you know for the listener. When, when I, I you know, of course, I I, I listened because I like to hear what you have to say too, and you know, it's not, there's there's touchbacks to previous episode as opposed to feeling like oh I've already heard him talk about this. Right, because you you sort of blended a number of episodes into a comprehensive uh, sports, as well as you know Christian perspective. Yeah, and 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 I think the last thing I'll say is that um, it was I, I was very uh, humbled to be a part of it, mm-hmm. and so thank you to uh, Ezra Institute, Ryan, RS. Uh, Joe Boot, Dr. Joe Boot, for having me. It was one of those things where um, I grew, I don't want to say I grew up, but like part of my development in the way I see the world, um, the work of the Ezra T- Institute has been a big part in informing the way my, my convictions. And I, if I can just say it very sim- simply and succinctly, uh, Ezra Institute has definitely impacted the way. I love people mm. like it's really given me a stronger conviction and not just loving people theoretically and you know by signaling but it's it's really given me a harder conviction to actually go out and do work mm. 
to love people and not just not not just have a sign saying okay well i care about x but actually doing practical things to help and love people and so you know watching a lot of their videos reading a lot of the books pamphlets and taking in podcasts and material and then having the opportunity to talk at at an event was um was an out-of-body experience and mm-hmm. um yeah i was definitely nervous and um <laughs> I, was, I was definitely nervous and had an out-of-body experience like what the heck am i doing here but how did but, i get here you know the good thing is it sort of it, it sounds like it's come full circle where you know that the institute is poured into you in such a way that now you can pour back into the to the next generation oh yeah 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 definitely man it was it was it was man it was the weirdest thing joel man it was the weirdest thing just being there you know and, I'm, and i've watched you know many great speakers there you know like um uh, james white and a couple other people were there but just in general like i i've watched dr scott masson do his thing mm. he's also my professor and and now i now i'm up there and i'm and i'm you know getting to um help others so you know i thank god for the opportunity and really humbled and appreciative of, of the of, of the um opportunity so thank you yeah and and on that note anthony roll the clip All right, so our next speaker, uh, we're very happy to welcome Darnell Samuels here this morning. Darnell is the co-host of the Six Sense Report podcast and has previously hosted the podcast Thanks Coach. And uh, Darnell, you actually, I guess it was a, a while ago now you had uh, Joe on your podcast and, and recorded it right here in this hall, didn't you? Darnell is a teacher by trade. He lives in Brampton, Ontario with his wife. He has spoken on various issues pertinent to our cultural climate, including politics, economics, and race. Please welcome Darnell Samuels. All right, how's everybody doing? Everybody good? Good, good, good. Okay. Okay, so just, just a quick show of hands. How many of you grew up playing sports? Okay, kind of. Okay, um, let's define what actually sports is, right? Because the definitions kind of change, right? Because sport is something you do. Um, the things we partake in are games. So basketball is a game. Hockey is a game. Playing video games is a game. So if you partake in playing video games, that's also a sport. If you play chess, that is also a sport. Okay, so it's not just limited to the uh, traditional uh, stick and ball sports. So don't, don't feel like, you know, you're not an elite athlete. You could have gone pro in whatever venture you're probably doing to use your time. Okay, so the talk we're going to be doing is called The Beautiful Game. Okay, and it's in relation to... Uh, sports, media, and entertainment. Okay, so just a quick background on myself. Uh, I'm the co-host, like, like I was, like I said, I'm the co-host of the Sixth Sense Report, and this is a podcast that uh, focuses on using theology and economics to report on events that impact Canadians. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you because this is my train of thought, and I, I can only think in this framework. I, I, like, I can't think anything outside of it. 
So the goal, what Joel, my co-host, the white guy, uh, there, uh, uh, he, he's, he's wonderful. Um, he's, a, he, he's a libertarian. He's a hockey guy. He's an accountant. Uh, wonderful guy. And so the goal of the show is to equip Canadians with the right vocabulary to articulate uh, socio-political realities. Because a lot of times the language we're using, and I'm sure you guys probably noticed it, you're just like, wait, what? I'm not sure if that adds up. I don't know what the issue is, but there's something wrong with that word. And a lot of times, right, it comes back down to vocabulary. And usually it falls in the realm of sound theology or sound economics. And so we just try to merge the two. So that's where my mind is going when we're talking about these things. So just uh, you, you've been forewarned. And yes, I also coach a bit and train. Okay, so here's a question for you guys to think about. Are you a driven Christian? Are you a driven Christian? Right? Because when we think about sports, we think about people that get after it, are self-motivated. So we're going to think about that and come to that at the end. Okay, so we're going to start off with uh, Western civilization and focusing on the Greco-Roman era and what they've contributed to us athletically. Like, we know what they've contributed to us academically, philosophically, but we never really think about um, their contributions to us in the athletic realm. So we're going to look at that. Okay, so we see here, we're going to start with the Greco-Roman era. And so we see that this is where we get the Olympics, right? 776 BCE, we have uh, basically it was an event done or practiced before the gods, an event for the gods to worship them and honor them. And so all warring and would stop and people would come together to compete. And the people would represent uh, their area, which is called a polis. And so the polis was like their city, which they represented, and then they would go and compete. And so the things that they competed in were traditional races, running races, 200-meter dash. They had, of course, the javelin, the discus we're familiar with. And they had my favorite, boxing. Favorites? And maybe some of your favorite, um, what we know as mixed martial arts today, but uh, something along those lines of wrestling, right? <laughs> so that's what they did. Um, now, they also had gymnasiums. And the gymnasiums that they, they had, or pronounced gymnasium, it's not like, well, it's not like LA Fitness today. All right? So, so this was more like a spa. Real quick, has anybody gone to a spa before? Anybody here? A spa? Get a mani and pedi done? All right? All right? So, so that, that, that's, that's what their gymnasiums were. And every polis would, they tried to put a gymnasium in every polis. So this is where people would go to bathe. Um, it would be a place where people can uh, use the, the restroom um, and just relax and refresh themselves, talk politics, kind of like what you do in the gym after, after the workout with your guys. You're like, when? Those raptors, right? So it's one of those. And so we also see um, one of the famous Grecians, uh, Plato. And so uh, Plato uh, brought us the idea of the forms and the reasoning and what's reality. Uh, and the idea that most uh, Grecians believed at the time was that 
athletics is what made you a whole person. Like, yes, you got to know what's up here, but also you have to build up what's over here, right? We have to be a full person. And the goal of the Grecians were to aspire to immortality, to have a, st a statue, a memorial. And that was the goal, immortality and to be remembered. Now, what, now here, here's an interesting fact about Plato. Plato's not even his government name, right? It's Aristocles. And Plato is actually a nickname, meaning broad. Well, he was a wrestler, right? He was broad, and he was also a wrestler. And that brought the name Plato was somewhat of a nickname, right? So that's pretty fascinating. He's probably like our first scholar athlete. Actually, I don't, I don't even think there is a scholar athlete. I think he's the first and only. I don't know too many smart athletes. I know ones who pretend to be. I know ones who pretend to be, but I don't know <laughs> too many smart athletes. So there you go with Plato. Okay, so next uh, we have uh, the, the, uh, the Roman Empire. And so uh, they were known for... <laughs> so they were known for the Colosseum, right? And so this was um, the Colosseum and these events were to... Uh, show and put on display the greatness of Rome, right? This is where they said, okay, this is where we're going to uh, show what we're all about. And this is why, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with the gladiatorial games and how violent they were. Um, it wasn't violent for violence's sake. It was violent because this is how we get things done, right? And that's what they practiced, and that's what happened. Um, now, what's interesting about the Colosseum and how advanced they were, because sometimes we always think we kind of do this chronological snobbery thing where we feel like we're doing better or better than those in the past. But when you look at the Colosseum, it could fit 500,000 people at its max capacity. Now, that could be a random number. When you put it in our context, right? Scotiabank Arena, where the Raptors play, 19,000. 19,000. And we think Scotia Bank is the lick. We're like, oh, man, this is, this is nice. Right? But of course, then, you know, down the street, we got the Rogers Center, which I prefer Skydome. But uh, <laughs> the Rogers Center, where the Blue Jays play, that seats at max capacity, 49,000. Right? So it's still 1,000 short of what the Coliseum was able to see. Uh, and so, the, so when you look at the Colosseum, this is all-encompassing entertainment. And what they would do, um, they had this uh, show that they would do called the, uh, the Namakiai. And the Namakiai is where they would flood the grounds where they fight. They would flood, and then they would stage water shows. Now, it wasn't just water shows. There were actual killing going on in the water shows, which made it very entertaining. But they would flooded uh, through the aqueducts that flew, that flew into the um, city. They would flood it um, in the, um, for the afternoon show, then drain it, and then have their battles and, and things going on and so forth. Eventually, once they moved the, the, the water um, shows, the namakiais, out to actual water, uh, then that's when they started to uh, implement the trap doors. And I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Gladiator. Yeah, yeah, a wonderful movie. And, and then you, you, see, you see these lions and animals coming up from under the stage. So it's not just a flat ground. So I know I don't have a picture, but follow me. It's flat ground, and 
under it is a basement, trap doors. And so through, it was a wooden, a wooded floor. And then just like we watch in basketball and sports. And so the animals would be lifted up and then they would come out through the ground and then the people would have to fight the animals. So that really just goes to show you how advanced and how serious they took their entertainment, right? It wasn't just Netflix and chill. It was, look, we're going to watch people get killed. We're going to watch an arena get flooded. We can't even, we only flood an arena by mistake, right? That's how it goes. But so now when we look at um, the Gladiator Academy, and what's interesting about the Gladiator Academy is this is where um, people were, of course, trained to be gladiators. Uh, they ate well. Uh, they had their trainers. And for that culture, some people were forced into it, uh, whether they were captured, they were slaves. But then there were people who were uh, looking to make a name for themselves. And so what you have is people who chose to be gladiators and those people who were forced to be. And so the nature of being a gladiator was, of course, fame, but also the opportunity to fight for their freedom. Um, an opportunity to become free if they fought, basically fighting for their lives. And then uh, the last person here is Flama, uh, which is, means flame. And he was uh, a famous gladiator. He, he's almost like uh, the first superstar athlete, uh, where he had his own merch. Uh, some say he even had his face on a coin. Uh, and actually, uh, he was a, uh, a Syrian Jew who was captured in battle. And he was so great, he won his freedom four times. Four times and denied it. Hey, okay, yeah, you could go. I, actually, no, I, I, I want to I stay. I, I think I belong here. This is fun. And clearly, he enjoyed it, the fact that he could have gone free, but he chose not to. He chose to continue to fight and die um, in the circle. And now, you guys are probably wondering, <laughs> with, the, with the burger, right? So that's, that's Gladiator Burger. I don't know if you guys have a Gladiator Burger near you. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't know if he knows that his name, image, and likeness is being used. But uh, yeah, so Gladiator Burger. The burgers are okay. Fries are kind of sketchy. Fries are kind of sketchy, so I don't want anybody to say, ah, oh, you see, Darnold told me. He told me this was going to be delicious. I want my money back. So, yeah, eat, eat at your own discretion. Okay? So now we're going to talk about how does sports unite us? Okay? How does sports unite us? Okay? Now, like I mentioned before, uh, I have a, a second podcast called Thanks Coach. And in it, I argue that sports has given me a family given me fathers. Uh, these gentlemen right here are like fathers. Uh, the guys over there are my brothers. And these guys right here are like my sons. And so what happens is with, with um, the way how sports unites us is that there's this uh, dynamic of competition and cooperation. So when there's no outside threat, meaning you're on, you're on a sports team and you're, you don't have a game, there is no outside threat and you're just in practice, then it's competition between your peers, right? Right, we know this, this is competition between your peers. And what we want in competition between our peers is we want it to be competitive. We want people around us that 
as we say in sport, get after it, right? We want to go to the teams that have, well, depending on your personality as a person, you want to be around the people who have the best players or the most competitive people. In, in Christian terms, we want to be around Christians who are on fire for the Lord, uh, right? We want uh, iron sharpening iron. But these, it seems like these days people don't want to do iron sharpening iron, right? It's more like flint sharpening flint. Actually, when flint rubs on flint, what happens? Sparks and fire, and then everybody's burnt up. So don't be, so don't be a flint, right? <laughs> don't be flint, right? So that's what we want in that competitive environment. Um, and so what we have is with your brothers, you're competing. You're getting after it. You're having those people in your life that you can argue with, which is helpful. And then you have a father figure that's you're submitted to that's, that's cultivating that, that environment. Now, when there's a threat, and now you guys have to come together and then go after um, the threat. Now, the son's part, which is interesting, is that whatever you've learned, um, what you're doing now is you're passing that on. It's a mentorship. It's a discipleship. You're, you're pouring into those people who are younger than you, uh, those people who are you're coaching. Now, now there's a, a negative nuance to how sports unites us in that um, there are those who want to make history and those who want to witness history, right? Players and fans, right? That, 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 that's, why, that's, that's why we get, in it, get into competitive sports, right? Because we want, to be, we want to be possibly one of the greats, right? And so when we wrestle with that dynamic, it, is, it almost becomes like a form of semi-worship where one wants to be admired and worshiped and another one wants to be the worshiped. Um, I think of... Um, I think there's only like one player or one person, one athlete that's ever fulfilled um, that a narrative of like this idea of a, a messianic um, savior narrative. Because with, with sports, right, every time we watch a show or a game, they always have this great prologue, right? Eternal Maple Leafs. They've been here before. They failed again. Now they're up against, right? And, and you're sitting there and you're just like, oh, this is going to be great, right? It's all, sports is always done in the context of story. And so the person I think of who's fulfilled that story is LeBron James, which is fascinating because in his story, it kind of plays out like a biblical narrative, right? Because we have scouts and the scouts function as prophets, right? That's how scouts function. Right? They're like, okay, well, this is the next kid. This is the number one player in the country. And so the, so the prophets are saying there is a savior, and his name is LeBron from Akron, Ohio. I don't know if anybody's LeBron fans out here, but, but the idea is now he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 17 years old, and the title says, The Chosen One. Chosen One. And on his back, he's got it tattooed. The Chosen One. So Nike basically takes him and says, okay, now they market him as the king, right? That's what he's known as. It's, it's, it's the king, right? And so he has his crew of guys who he does his business with, the four horsemen, right? Which is um, um, Maverick Carter, Rich Paul, and Kevin Mims, I believe. And they, they basically have an entertainment industry. Actually, they're pretty much running the entertainment industry where he's brought 
his guys up with him to run his business affairs and agency and be agents for other players in the league. And then um, in that sense, we see that LeBron is fulfilling that prophecy up until the point where Nike has this idea of, I'm not sure if you are familiar with the marketing scheme, but fans are considered witnesses, right? We've seen the posters before with LeBron throwing the smoke up and fans are like this. And then across the top it says, you are all witnesses. You are all witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is a person who testifies, puts their life on the line, and testifies to what they saw was true. You are all witnesses to the new King James Version. LeBron James is what they said he would be. So when you talk to LeBron, Gosh, yes, I am a witness. He is, he is the savior of Cleveland. Right? And there are, and this is the narrative that many young people's parents as well buy into this narrative of wanting to be um, part of this uh, savior narrative in, in sports. Now, I'm not saying don't buy LeBron's. I'm not saying, I'm just simply saying that this narrative has captured many people because of what he's been able to accomplish. He's been at the forefront of sports in general. So the next slide is, uh, should amateur athletes work for free? Should amateur athletes work for free? And this has to do with the economics of the industry and getting to the, at the amateur level. So those who don't know, the amateur is, um, the, amateur is the person who's not professional, right? So, uh, philosopher and poet, Sean Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z, said it best. I am not a businessman. I'm a businessman. You can't just say a Jay-Z line and not say it like Jay-Z. Then they just wouldn't work. So, so that's the idea, right? So, every athlete is a brand. Every athlete is a business. You're not just here to kick a ball or swing a bat. You have to present yourself and market yourself because you are an asset, right? It's that idea of human capital and using your potential uh, to maximize it, okay? So here we have a chart of uh, basically what, how much people, how much the average salaries for first team active roster players. So we have, start from the, bo uh, from the bottom, uh, CFL, right, 87K. Um, and all the way down, uh, Scotland football, Japan football. Um, we got hockey. What's hockey at? 3.1 million NHL. Major League Baseball, 4.5 mil. And then the NBA, 7.1 mil. And we'll focus on the NBA because it makes the most money. And it's probably the most popular uh, league in the world because of there's support from China, but we're going to work our way down. Okay, so, so essentially this is how, how, how the, the, the funnel works, top down, all right? So all the money's at the top, right? Everybody sees all the money at the top with the NBA. And so what happens is the NCAA is basically filtering, filtering players up to the NBA. And so the issue with the NCAA is that as of July 1st of this year, um, 
the NCAA lost, oh sorry, NCAA stands for National Collegiate Athletic Association. So they're the governing body. They have three tiers of athletics, uh, Division One, Division Two, Division Three. Division One school, University of you know, like Duke, North Carolina, and all those, uh, Yale, Stanford, all of that, all of them are affiliated with the NCAA. And so what happens now as of July, July 1st is that uh, the, N the NCAA is no longer, um, basically they lost the case to the Supreme Court and now players are allowed to make money off of their name, image, and likeness, which has huge complications, or implications, I should say, uh, for the future of sports in general. So what that means with um, the name, image, and likeness is that what the NCAA basically did was they violated an antitrust. Um, they basically were charged with antitrust. That, okay, antitrust laws, okay? So uh, this definition is from economist Thomas Sowell, and the definition is the basic rationale for antitrust laws is to prevent monopoly and other non-competitive conditions which allow prices to rise above where they would be in a free and competitive marketplace. So monopoly is basically uh, an, a company that basically has taken over a whole industry. And so the NCAA is being charged with being a monopoly in that they are limiting the players' freedoms and they're not allowing them to be competitive. Right? So for example, um, being, they're being charged with this idea of called price fixing. And what they basically do is say, okay, we're gonna give you a scholarship. Your scholarship's worth this amount of money, right? But you can't make anything off the top of that. Hence why you can't make um, money off your name, image, and likeness. So like we have um, college football games, college basketball games. So, um, you will play those games. So let's say you guys are in the game, or you guys play Division One sports. You will be in the game, but you won't be paid for it. Uh, you're the best player on the team, and your jersey's being sold, <laughs> right, in, in the school store, but you're not getting paid. Now, the only reason why they're wearing number three is because you wear number three, right? It's your likeness. People want to be like you, but you're not getting paid. So, there, so there's something wrong with that, right? But it's funny, this was just happening under our, our own noses. We didn't even realize how the NCAA was acting, even to the point where they would limit players' meals and how much they can eat. So all athletes were guaranteed, even though, of course, we know Division I's expensive and they're paying for you know, your school, room and board, sounds great, but even them limiting how much you can eat. So at one point, kids were our students, uh, athletes, can eat one meal. You were scheduled for one meal a day. One meal. I mean, if you play a football, you play a baseball, <laughs> right? <laughs> one meal's not gonna cut it. And so what they said was okay, they said, okay, fine. There's a loophole. You can eat nuts, fruits, and bagels. Right? Those don't constitute as a meal. So you can get by on those things. Now, if you added cream cheese. There's a problem, because now that constitutes as a mean meal, right? Well, it depends how you eat your cream cheese, if you like it thin or heavy. But either way, you add cream cheese, now it's a meal. So you, you can see how the NCAA is 
has their hands in a little too much in the market. And they're not letting the players be able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Okay, so the next issue we want to address is, is bread and circus a good thing? Okay, now some of you probably, okay, I don't know if anybody knows what bread and circus is. Just show of hands. Anybody know what bread and circus is? Bread and circus? Okay, bread and circus. Okay. So bread and circus is a, a phrase Romans used, and basically it's to uh, distract the people from what's going on in society. So if you give people a little bread and circus, they won't ask as many questions. Right? A little bread, a little circus. Um, actually, the word uh, circus is uh, actually circle. And this is where the Romans did the, um, had in their Colosseum. It was a circle where all the activity. So it wasn't the clowns and, and the trapeze artists that they were talking about. Right? But it was, it was the circle. So um, you feed the people. Get a hot dog from the game, some nachos, a beer, right? You watch the game, all your problems are gone. You don't have to think about what's going on, who's, who's protesting what, who's the, who's the next hashtag. Man, I, I just want to watch the game. Leave me alone, right? That's the idea. Now, what's interesting, of course, now, our circles are more like diamonds, baseball diamonds, rectangles, basketball diamonds. And of course, the octagon, right? This is how we get distracted. So um, now the issue we're going to get into is rent seeking. Uh, actually, no, go back. Go back to the last suggestion. Um, so the idea is that um, when we look at the, the bread and circus, we have to ask ourselves one question. Is it helpful or is it not helpful? And there's times where brand circus can be used to push politics rather than cover, cover up politics. Uh, now, I don't want to use the term politics because it's kind of general. So this is why we're going to get into the issue of rent seeking. Okay, so this definition, rent seeking. Okay, so cutting yourself a bigger slice of the cake rather than making the cake bigger trying to make more money without producing more for customers. So it's lobbying the government for tax, spending, or regulatory policies that benefit the lobbyists at the expense of taxpayers or consumers or some other rivals. So the idea, the question that we're really trying to wrestle with is, what is this phenomenon of sports pushing social justice issue, right? Now, I'm just for the sake of clarity, yes, we know that uh, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, Major League Baseball, yes. Civil rights, yes. Social justice is not civil rights. Okay, let's just, let's just make sure that's clear. That is not the same thing. Okay, and so what we're seeing now, what I'm arguing is that with rent-seeking, with, with some of these social justice groups, is that with rent-seeking, instead of paying politicians to, um, to give them, uh, whether it's uh, tax exemptions uh, and so forth, they are influencing the culture where now politicians have to go along with what 
some of these ideologies are, right? So rent-seeking traditionally is usually just some lobbyist party that says, okay, we got money, we're going to pay you, and we're going to get what we want. But with uh, some of these lobby groups, Black Lives Matter, uh, instead of paying politicians, you're not going to pay politicians. You're going to protest, you're going to make some noise, you're going to get some, some big-name people to co-sign for you, and now puts the pressure on politicians. So now when, when the agenda comes up, it's kind of like, ah, okay. Got to side with these guys. Uh, actually, what's, yeah, well, I won't go there. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, so the idea with, with the whole idea with rent-seeking, we did a show on, 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 on Six Sense Report on, we discussed, uh, we had an episode called uh, Social Justice League. I believe it was episode 96. So, Social Justice League. And basically, we, we looked at the policies that a lot of these major league teams adopted after the George Floyd murder. Right? And so we looked at, um, we looked at the NHL. In the NHL, they had um, the Hockey Diversity uh, Association. And they were, they were basically pushing the NHL to do uh, some diversity stuff, right? So the blue line would become the black line. Okay, blue line. <laughs> what? The blue line. <laughs> it's <just> like, what? <laughs> the blue line becomes the black line, right? To, to show solidarity. A um, couple black jerseys. Um, the, the emblem um, for the Hockey Diversity Association have that on, on the ice as well to show that. And, of course, the point that Joel and I came to the conclusion was that when the leagues tried to participate in these social justice ventures, it backfired. Now, now there's nothing wrong. I think, I, think, I think players should be allowed to voice their political opinions. That's cool. But when the industry gets involved, then it gets dicey and it backfires. So it backfired on the NHL where they didn't comply and then they were called racist and that they're not serious about creating um, equality. Uh, the NBA, uh, they were putting the Black Lives Matter emblem uh, decal on their court. They actually did that. Um, they changed the back of the name of their jerseys. I'm not sure if you knew that. Uh, they changed the name of the back of their jerseys and they had social justice slogans. Right? And they were doing that for the 2020 season. And so... What ended up happening was that at the end of the season, uh, Adam Silver, the, the um, commissioner, said, okay, no, um, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to go away from that. And uh, there's a political commentator, uh, and he says this, um, Jamil Giovanni, and he said this, if sloganeering leads to social change, why is the NBA planning to stop using slogans on their courts and jerseys next season? If parroting the same old talking points helps disadvantaged communities, why not keep going in this direction? Why not keep going in this direction? Right? If it, again, granted, fine, you know, let's, let's do Black Lives Matter because we care because Black Lives Matter. But don't stop doing it because it's financially inconvenient. Show the consistency. But at that point, it shows the inconsistency and that it's still business at the end of the day. Because if it, if it was working, if it really was for the cause, then money wouldn't be an issue. Right? But of course, they pulled it. And so 
there was another situation with the NFL, and they were singing the, uh, the Black National Anthem, uh, which is called um, Lift Every Voice. And so they were doing that, and then some players, some teams were saying, okay, you know what, let's, let's, let's try to lift up those um, black people who've been, uh, unarmed black people who've been killed by police. And so the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, start, uh, decided to say, okay, you know what, let's, let's, let's choose um, a person's name to, uh, to uh, put on our, the back of our helmet to represent that person. And so the person they decided to do was this, a young man named um, Antoine Rose, I believe. And so they were putting Antoine Rose at the back of their helmets. And there was one player on the Pittsburgh Steelers who chose not to do that, right? Because he did Google the guy and looked him up, and the, Antoine was killed in the line uh, was killed uh, by police because he was a part of a drive-by shooting, right? He was a part of the drive-by shooting. It had something uh, to do with it. And so Villanueva was like, uh, nah, I'm not going to do that. So he put tape over the person's name, and then he wrote um, the name of, of a, uh, a war vet or someone who's passed away, but a war vet. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> so you know, every there was, there was a big uproar and and so forth, and you know, the point that 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 I'm making is that um, politics and sports, especially when it's from the top down, from the from the general managers, it gets messy. It gets messy, and that's where uh, a little bread and circus to promote a political cause can backfire. Okay, so that's just one um, thing there. Uh, so what is, what is the Christian competing? What is the Christian competing? Right, so we saw previously, you know, people are competing to uh, their, uh, get their freedom, right? Fight for freedom in, in the gladiatorial games uh, or, or fight for uh, or, or, or you're competing for Zeus and the gods and the Greek, uh, for the Greek pantheon. Uh, we see that people are want to be uh, somewhat of a messianic savior, sports messianic savior, and so forth. We see all these examples, monetize, name, image, and likeness. So what is a Christian competing for? And well, of course, yeah, we're competing for Jesus. Come on, Darnell, man. This is the Runner Academy. We know this already. This is what we do. No, no, this isn't, this isn't, it's not, it's a little bit calm, a little deeper than that. Um, because for those of us who are in Christ, we got the prize. We got the prize. For those of you who are reformed in your theology, right, eternal security, perseverance of the saints, we're good. All right, all we just got to do is not sin too much to lose our salvation. That's all we're doing, right? But for the Christian, what keeps us competing even though we have the prize? All right, so let's get into that. Um, so the thing that we're competing for is uh, Jesus calls us to, 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 to go after rewards, right? 
we have our goal. We have our trophy. Jesus gives, he's like, oh, people are like, oh, no, that's okay, Jesus. But do you rejoice over the rewards Christ gives? Do you rejoice over the, the rewards? So blessed are you, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so what we see here is that there is reward um, for our conduct here. And actually, it kind of almost sounds like uh, a pep talk from your coach, right? We're, we're, we're a visiting team. We're going into somebody else's home court, and it's hostile. They're calling us names. I, I don't know how, what any of your particular dispositions are in regards to dealing with hostility, but there are, it's an athlete thing to, for certain people to enjoy hostile environments. Some people do, some people don't. But as Christians, right, we're visiting, visiting team. We're not home. And so we have to be careful and be ready to receive those things and aspire for those rewards. Okay, so why are you given incentives to do good? Why are, sorry, why are we given incentives to do good? Uh, so Luke 6.35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Okay, so we see here that we have incentives to do good. Granted, if we're already regenerated, regeneration, meaning go from spiritual death to spiritual life, uh, the Holy Spirit quickens us, and now we're alive, we once were blind, and now we see, we have a new nature, and we're, we're killing it for Jesus. Why would he give us incentives? If that's, what our, if that's our natural disposition, why would he give us incentives to do good if that's our natural disposition? Rewards. Okay, so uh, this one, you are in competition with yourself. Okay, so this is the parable uh, of the minas in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 11 to 27. Um, it's a long passage, so I didn't really put all of it there. But the, the, the moral of the story is verse 26. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, Let's, I'll just unpack the context of this one for a bit. Uh, so this isn't, this isn't a salvific passage. Okay, so uh, they're on their way uh, to Jerusalem, and, and the disciples are asking him, oh, when's the kingdom going to come? And they're hoping it's soon. And Jesus finds this is the opportunity to tell this parable about the kingdom. So, um, so we have a, a master who's basically overseeing a city, and the citizens don't like him. So there's citizens that don't like him, and then he has his workers. If you're a Christian, you're the worker. If you're an unbeliever, you're the citizen, and you hate the master. So background, the master comes back. He's not pleased with the citizens that don't like him. He kills them. 
And that's not us. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so the worker, the workers are us. And hence, of course, we, we know how these parables play out, right? Right? One person does really well. Second person does sort of well. The third person is just like, ah, you know, I just put it aside. I didn't want to do anything. So the person who, has, who ha- thought he had something was taken, well, what he has was taken away. And so the minas, which is fascinating, um, if you want to turn there real quick, uh, Luke chapter 11. Oh, sorry, Luke chapter 19, sorry. Um, it's actually Luke chapter 19, sorry. All right, so Luke chapter 19, and it's from 11 to 27. But what's interesting about this, this passage uh, is that um, verse, so the idea of minas, right? So he gives them um, minas. And a mina is, uh, it's basically three months wages. Okay? So Amina is three months wages. And so he gives them that. And basically, altogether, it's uh, 10 minas. And so what's fascinating about that is three months wages, it's kind of a lot. Three months wages is kind of a lot. You know, even if you make minimum wage, it's still a lot of money. What's interesting is verse 17 um, says, be faithful in the little. Be faithful in the little. Jesus is calling three months wages little. Now to us, three months wages is a vacation. <laughs> that, that's the time to say, oh wait, three months wages? You know what you can do with three months wages? Just right there, right? And Jesus is calling this little. Be faithful in the little. Right? So right there, he's already giving us a framework in regards to how we're supposed to use the, the um, steward, the, the gifts he's given us. Okay? And so, again, the moral of the story is what you, it, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So there, in a sense, there's going to be tears. There's going to be tears in the eschaton, in the new heaven, in the earth. And so we're not in competition with each other, hence why everybody got their portion accordingly. And based on what you did with your portion, right, you doubled it or you had it just flat out taken away. And so this last part here, uh, your reward is more responsibility. So be responsible. So it's not a wreath, it's not a gold medal, it's not money, it's not a mansion, it's service to the Lord. Oh, and let me just sidebar real quick, get into a little ecclesiology. Service at your church is not a right, it's a privilege. Right? That's, that, that's, that's a gift, to be able to serve at your local church. So it isn't something where people could just come off the street and say, hey, you know, I want to serve here. Right? So it says, the passage says this, and I'll I'll break it down for you. I said to him, sir, you know? And he said to me, 
These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these people have died. You guys have died for the Lord. And this is the result. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve. And serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Their reward for service is service. Right? Like the Luke chapter, chapter 6 section about um, you know, being kind to those, um, being kind to uh, your enemies, and so forth. That the service that you do, you'll be rewarded with more service. Right? So right then and there, this is, this is the competition that, that we're dealing with. And the idea of competition, um, to point back to the cultural mandate, Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, that God's given a command to all men to use creation, steward it well, promote human flourishing. Then the fall happens. We're like, okay, forget that. But then he brings it back up again to Noah after the flood. So even in a fallen world, this is something we're supposed to be doing. But the idea is this. Limited resources, right? It's limited resources that we're working with, and so we're in competition to maximize what we have. Right? Just like a time limit in a game, right? You're, you're, you're maximizing the time that you have in the game, uh, maximizing the time you have here, maximizing the resources that God has given you. And so the idea is that we're called to service. That's what the rewards are, are flowing out of service. So I'll, I'll close with this, right? Um, this is a unique. Joe Boots a unique guy, right? He has some fans, he has some haters. We know this, right? It, it, it is what it is. But the point is that this is a special place. You didn't, you, like, you don't, you don't come to Runner Academy by mistake. You know what I mean? You didn't, like, you, each one of you guys has a plan, and God has a plan for you. You're here not by mistake. And, and it takes a lot to, to, to be here. And so... The idea is, I'm assuming the reason why you want to be here is because you want to get better. Right? Like, we, we know what the vision is. Those people who don't know, but we know what the vision is. The vision is to impact culture, to make change. Right? So you're here to get better. And part of getting better is doing the difficult things and, and working through those things. Right? We're here to work. We're here to get better. Right? Like, no, nobody comes to the Runner Academy for fun. <laughs> right? Right? But the, the idea is that technically, yeah, we came here to get better. We, we came here to hear words that would help us get better. Uh, we're here to, to, to meet people. We're here to, we're here to meet people to, to help us get better. Because that's the idea of, of, of competition. That's the idea of sport. That's the idea of being around iron sharpening iron, right? So again, um, we don't necessarily um, need motivation. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal 
seven foot two, 270 pounds, basketball player. He said this. When he was a kid, he went, um, he, he's, he grew up in Texas, San Antonio, and that's where the Spurs play. And David Robinson is the, is the franchise player for San Antonio. And, and, and Shaq is like, he's like 15 years old, probably like six, six. Right? And so he goes to the game and he goes to ask David Robinson for an autograph. And, and David Robinson basically, he says, David Robinson said, no, not going to do And now Shaq is in the NBA. And Shaq's like, oh man. He's like, every day, every time we have a game against the Spurs, I have it circled and I'm ready to all rip up David Robinson. And Shaq would always tell this story about David Robinson. Now, I don't know if you guys know, but David Robinson's a Christian. He's a born again Christian. Like, real Christian. Uh, served in the Navy. That's why they call him the Admiral. So before he even came to the NBA, he did his time to serve his country. And, come. and actually, the, I, I believe the Sportsmanship Award was created because of his service. So Shaq's out here saying, man, this guy didn't sign my autograph. And this whole big thing. And David Robinson's a jerk. Right? Now everybody's retired. They're done. Shaq was doing an interview and he said, um, yeah, I want to apologize to David Robinson. That story was not true. That was not true. And so we're like, well, Shaq, why, why, why would you lie? Why would you lie about David Robinson? He's like, honestly, I need motivation. I got to make up something, right? And plus, my mom told me to apologize. That's what he said, <laughs> right? And his mom told him, I was like, that didn't happen, right? But his mom told him to apologize. So. In light of Shaq lying for motivation, you don't have to lie. You guys don't have to lie for your motivation. You don't have to make nothing up. Jesus has already told you what your motivation is. Right? So chase the reward that the Lord has for you. Change, change, be influenced in your sphere that the Lord has blessed you. All right? That's what I'll leave you with. Thank you. But you heard me? Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.